Welcome to the Christelphian Classics Podcast, brought to you by Wilderness Voice. Principles and Proverbs by Islip Collier. Part 1. Principles. Chapter 5. A Lying Tongue. Proverbs 26, verse 28. The proverb, a lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, is certainly not a principle of human conduct to light our way through life, but is a primary fact of human weakness which we need to recognise. Keen observers in each generation discover the fact for themselves and sometimes remark on it as a paradox. Yet it was more perfectly stated in the Proverbs of Solomon than ever by writers of later days. The converse truth has also been noted, although perhaps not put in this definitive form. The truthful tongue loves those who are blessed by it. There is nothing so fruitful of love as the practical works of love. Action sometimes has to precede feeling. Works of love may be undertaken only from a sense of duty or for the love of Christ and eventually the worker will develop a genuine love for the unattractive people who benefit by his labours. This is a more attractive subject than the one set forth in the head of this chapter but for the moment will not be allured by it. For a little while we will consider this remarkable fact of our common nature that man is predisposed to hate those who are injured by his actions or his words. That just as he's restrained from doing evil to anyone more by the thought of benefits conferred than of benefits received, so, in many instances at all events, the injury he has wrought is the most potent cause of hatred. In dealing with the scriptural maxims, men often miss the lesson intended by altering the names given to ugly things and assuming that the rude words of scripture cannot apply to them. What Christian will admit in so many words that he hates anyone or that he has told lies? We know so well that these are such ugly things that we must either avoid them altogether or cover them with a respectable mask. A man tells what the Bible would call a lie, but he calls it a legitimate inference or a logical extension of the argument. He hates his brother and calls it a righteous feeling of resentment. Even the most horrible cruelties of the Spanish Inquisition were never set forth by the perpetrators in all their naked ugliness. Heretics were so evil that the only chance for their souls was for the body to be burnt or buried alive, that the frightful sufferings might perchance purge the evil while at the same time offering a warning to other offenders. The perpetrators of these abominations would never have admitted even to themselves the ugly truth that they were full of the very worst kind of pride and lust for power 
And the more they misrepresented their enemies, the more they hated them. Seeing that human nature has sometimes descended to such depths of depravity, it's wise for us to examine this subject carefully and not miss the lessons by finding deceptive masks for evil things. We must not make the examination simply to find applications of the ugly truth to those who have disappointed us by taking a course which we disapprove. Very likely such applications can be made, but that is primarily the responsibility of the guilty individuals. It's a much more practical question for us whether we have been in any measure at fault. We can extend the principle laid down by the wise man and, if we prefer, use modern and polite words. We will not talk of lies, but have we ever been in the least degree unfair in our dealings? We will not talk of hatred, but have we any feeling of dislike, of aversion, of strained relationship towards any whom we've criticised? We will engage in a little close analysis of the human heart to throw light upon this subject and to assist self-examination. Few people are aware of the extent to which the intellect is swayed by feeling. Those few who are aware try to keep as free as possible so that their judgment may be just even where affections are not engaged and not unduly generous even toward those they love. The majority of people, however, and oftentimes some of the most capable of men, are swayed by feeling to a degree bordering on absurdity. It's been stated that a certain prominent statesman was converted from red-hot republicanism almost to conservatism by a royal appeal to feeling. No argument. Nothing in which the intellect was invited to participate. King Edward, when he was Prince of Wales, went out of his way to shake hands publicly with the firebrand, and all the Republican convictions bolted out the back door, never more to reappear. The story may well be true, for it's not more extraordinary than changes we've seen. There are times when a man might be a damnant against all the arguments of reason, but like warm wax in the hands of one who could touch feeling. Assail him with the most convincing logic and is more than ever determined in his opposition. Invite him home to tea and ask his opinion on a pet hobby if he's quite remote from the vexed question of the issue, and he finds the logical arguments for himself and yields the position without a struggle. It may well be questioned whether it's legitimate to use a knowledge of psychology to mould men to a one's will, but it's well to take note of the fact that it's often done, and then to ask ourselves whether we are much under the influence of feeling. Suppose a test case. A highly respected friend is accused of sin. He's alleged to be guilty of an offence which is quite out of harmony with his reputation, but through human infirmity, not by any means impossible. 
We do not want to hear the evidence. We're indignant of the accusation and are quite sure that it's false. If the reports are persistent, we should simply go to our friend and tell him of the slander so that we might have his all-sufficient assurance that the stories told everywhere were untrue. But supposing that in some way the friendship had been broken previous to the reports being spread. Supposing that the rupture had been caused by the highly respected one administering a stinging rebuke to us. Supposing that we first heard of his alleged frailty while we were still feeling resentful of his strictures, would that make any difference to our judgment? It ought not to make the slightest difference, but it probably would. As a general rule, we shall be safe in expecting a change of feeling to make a difference in a man's judgment of such matters, though there's not been the slightest change in the truths on which judgment ought to rest. The more complete the rupture and the stronger the feeling of resentment, the greater the readiness to believe evil of the old friend or to see evil where none exists. Then we have the familiar and pitiable spectacle of the brother offended seeking out grounds of accusation that he would have regarded as childish before ill feeling beclouded the judgment. If we can recognise that such processes are carried out in the deceitful human heart, we may penetrate a little further to examine the more subtle matter of lying or the unfair tongue-hating or disliking of those who are afflicted by it. Self-justification is a common instinct and that is probably the basis of it all. We naturally and perhaps to a large extent subconsciously set up defences against criticism from everyone, even from our own better sense. In a controversy, a man makes a statement injurious to the opponent. A friend of the opponent might call it a wicked and deliberate lie. An unbiased observer might call it a very unfair and misleading statement. Even some of the critics' friends and supporters might regret the statement and say that it goes too far. The critic himself will admit to himself that it was certainly severe, but, here come the defences, look at what he has said and done to deserve it. Thus, the natural tendency arises to seek out the worst offences of the one attacked and to put the worst possible construction upon them all to justify the severity. Surely such a quest is the direct path to hatred. I was severe, but then he deserved it. In fact, he deserved more than I gave him if I think of all the ill he's done. So the harsh and untruthful critic works up evil feelings to justify his cruelty. If the one attacked or any of his friends are unwise enough to retaliate with similar unfairness, the defences are assisted and the original falsehood seems completely justified. 
So the devilish work goes on until sins are piled mountains high and the original cause of dispute is lost to sight. It is well to know something of the worst deceptions of the evil heart, but it's not a subject over which one would choose to linger. We would rather turn to the other side of the picture and consider the growth of love through rendering service. It is all covered by the great saying of the Lord Jesus regarding the blessedness of giving.